episode Jackie Robinson. I'm glad that you just started out. Just, there's nothing else to say. Okay, okay. that's what I was going to say. Do we need to no. discuss this any further? No. Well, can we discuss it? Because I got no other material. So we, <laughs> no, it's not, that's a joke. Um, but that's all I got for you tonight. Thanks for coming. Thanks. Thanks for coming. Episode 42 is in the books. You know, one of the coolest things in sports is, and I and I don't know that baseball does a lot of cool things. I think most of the cool things, would you agree, are in like the NFL, the NBA, mm-hmm. maybe a little college hoops. Right now, I don't feel I don't feel it in Major League Baseball. No. Cool. Yeah. But when they do that thing every day early in the season, where every player in baseball yeah, wears 42. Yeah, it's great. I love that. Yeah, me too. And then nobody wears it the rest of the year. Yeah. Just on that one day, everybody. Everybody it's wears big it. Time. I, lo- I love that. So I don't feel like I'm going to even discuss any. And I feel badly because there's probably some other good 42s around, right? In sports, basketball, uh, football, not baseball, but basketball and football. There's yeah. got to be. I didn't even look them up. Yeah, it was it was Jackie Robinson it's all Jackie, day long. Jackie yeah. Robinson. Episode Jackie Robinson. How was your weekend? You look like... You just walked off the 18th green somewhere mm-hmm. or some grill. I mean, yeah. you, you look like you just shot 68. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> and didn't and didn't, and uh, didn't post. Didn't post. Yeah. yeah. Neither one of those things happened. No. I, I didn't post because I didn't play, but uh, ha- had some visions of, of getting some swings in and some yeah. practice in and, yeah. and just got derailed, just life, life events. Can I take a picture of you just to show people? Nope. Just to show nope, people what you, you look like. Nope. You look like you just won the memorial. Yeah. Jack is hey, 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 Jason hey, 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 congratulations. Hey, hey. Me and Patrick <laughs> Cantlay. Yeah. How about his summer? He's come, had a pretty good come summer. Come from behind. I guess it's not a summer, but well, um, in good golf year. Terms, good yeah. year. Almost won the Masters. Mm-hmm. Has played well. Anyway, I don't think anybody wants to hear about the memorial. But you no. look, you look at what did you do this weekend? Any uh, any boys basketball? No, actually, Nothing. this this weekend <clears> was as 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 low key and as good as you know any burgers <laughs> no burgers no burgers no so what derails a man of your caliber how does that happen well mitch yeah let me tell you yeah <laughs> i have a spouse yeah we- she, she's got she's got some ideas yeah you didn't have to clean the garage or something no no you're moving yeah okay and, and so how late in the game was the derailment? I mean, was it, were you like walking out the door? Was it last night? Was it in the morning over breakfast when you got the, no. you got the, you got the Ziggy, you got the kibosh, you got, you're not going to, you're not going so to So I got, I got dressed. <laughs> I got dressed yeah. and I said, I'm going to go to the golf course. I'm going to hit some balls. I'm going to putt. I'm going to chip. Were you going to play? No. Were you going to play? No. You were going to play. I wasn't. All right. I'm going to do all that, and then I know there's some things that you have in mind for us to do today. <laughs> yeah. and, and she said, well, how long are you going to be gone? Uh-huh. And I said, ah, uh-huh. maybe an hour. She said, well, what if we do yeah. the things that I need us to do, Yeah. and then you'll still have plenty of time in the afternoon to do everything you want to do? And I said, you know what? That's fine. But I was already dressed. You're dressed. I was I was as I am and right you, now. You look like you just walked out of a golf galaxy <laughs> right. piece of uh, uh, souvenir thing. That's right. Or or pamphlet. Yeah, yeah. That I get in the mail. Yeah. Golf gal you look like the poster boy. Yeah. Poster boy for golf galaxy. Yeah. yeah. So I was ready. You're ready. And so I said, Okay, great. Let's go do these things. Yeah. 
And those things that were supposed to be an hour turned into about six hours. Oh my God, really? And I never made it to uh, to set golf course. Now she knows as the things going from one to two to three hours that you had planned to play golf after these things were over. Well, she, I wasn't planning feel, to play golf. Well, was, practice. Yeah. You're, you're planning to go to play golf. Yes. Go, go golf and do whatever. Yes. Did she feel, was there guilt? Was there oh, shame? No. no, there's Was Was no. the feeling like, oh boy, I'm holding this guy up. He's, no. Look at how he's dressed. No. Did you keep the hat on? Oh, yeah. The whole thing. I, did, you, did you have any signs that kind of reminded her, I want to go hit some balls? Well, any reminders? Any tips? Here's when I knew it was over. <laughs> yeah. When we went from the thing to, oh, you know what? We should swing by Costco. Oh, you know, we went to Costco. Yeah. Our family went to Costco. Yeah. So yeah. that was that was in the in-between time. Yeah. We should swing by Costco. Yeah. And at that point I was I just gave up. I I did it wasn't even worth it wasn't even a conversation. It wasn't yeah. like, oh, yeah. you know what, I still want to go to the course. It was just like this is over. Well, before we start the show, yeah. I'll tell you that I played enough golf for both of us. I took care of you. You played some this weekend. I played a lot of golf. I played a lot of golf. I was in the Aldera Golf Club, which you and I believe best best best, best golf course in the state oh, of Washington. Yeah, for sure. All right, I'm going to give people an opportunity to play with me at Aldera here on this episode. But I played my first ever, and I've been a member for like 15 years, my first ever member member golf tournament at Aldera Golf Club. This past weekend. This, I, Yeah, this past weekend. Good weather. Great weather. How was the course? Course was in magnificent shape. Yeah. And, I, and I found out that it's really nice to have friends in high places. Mm. Oh, of course. But there are every once in a while <laughs> some pitfalls Uh-oh. of having friends in high places. What happened? So... But the, 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 the positives of having friends in high places. <laughs> okay, okay. I want to go to the far, what happened bar. Yeah, far yeah. outweigh the negatives. Okay. So about two or three months ago, I get a text. Mm-hmm. A really, really nice text. And I can remember telling you a couple of times, both on the air and off the air, what your text meant to me mm. many, many, many months, probably a year ago. Yeah, sure. More than a more, year ago. Yeah, two more, years ago. Yeah, yeah. Where you invited me to play in some sort of a scramble. Right. Just the thought that you were thinking of me to offer me to play with you meant a lot to me mm-hmm. at the time. I was going through a lot right. and I didn't know who wanted to hang out. And sure. you, you and, and so I got a text two or three months ago from the one and only soon to be Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame inductee. Jack Sigma. Jack Sigma. Yes. Would you like to be my partner, Mitch, in the member member? Now, how can a guy... Can't say no. How can a guy say no to that? Can't say no. The great Jack Sigma, who at that time didn't know he was going to be a Hall of Famer. I contend, had he known, he would not have picked me. (laughs) Right. But he's saying, yeah, he's asking me to be a partner. Yeah. So I said yes, and this weekend was the 2019 member member. And the first day is a best ball format. And the second day, which we'll forget, was a Chapman format Matt, today. I know the Chapman format. Yes. And so Jack and I teed up yesterday. I guess I should say Saturday. And we go out there and they put us, they start us on the world's worst starting hole, I think, 
They put us on the par three third. My first shot is a 225-yard par three. First shot of the day. And we go out there and we just step all over ourselves on the first hole. Mm -hmm. We both almost lose balls on the first hole. We're is, looking at a huge number on the first hole. Yes. Is the new tee box in play? No, not. It's, they're they're okay. playing from, they're playing right, from right, down right, below. Right. Down below. We somehow figure out, Jack Sigma, the Hall of Famer in the mouth, mm-hmm. figure out a way to make a bogey on the first hole. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, something magical starts to happen. I make a, like a 40-footer for birdie on 15, on 14. 14. Mm-hmm. We go out, we make par on 15. And we're getting tough, and we're, yeah. get, we're getting shots. We make, a, we make pars on 16, 17. We do well on 18. We're moving along. We make some birdies on the front nine. We're making pars. And we are just, we are, we are just he's getting 15 shots. And I'm getting seven shots, yeah. and we're making gross pars and birdies. And I'm thinking, what, 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 this is unbelievable. Right yeah, you're right there. Now, this is a friend in a very high place, both literally and figuratively. Especially, and I know we haven't started the show yet. But yeah, I, of course. But we never start the we show. We haven't started the show. Yeah. Um, but we're just cruising along. And in my mind, I'm not looking. I'm like this guy. I'm like when you play pinball as a kid. I don't look at the scores. Mm-hmm. I just kind of, I, I don't want to know what we're doing. But I, I, you can feel yeah. there's birdies and pars and he's getting strokes. And, and we're, we're surging. I think we're, I, I think. <laughs> so the one setback, not of, of, of the big man, the big fella, is that it was the longest round in in member member golf history, now, we you, were approaching you, six hours. Yeah, of course, are you, are you in a cart? We're in a cart. Yeah, and okay. you're sitting down. Sitting down. Oh, Mitch Levy. I'm sitting down. Okay, and so we started at 13. So we make the turn. We're back at 10. Mm-hmm. We're make we're at 10. We're in the middle of the fairway, or I'm in the middle of the fairway. Best ball at 10. We're surging. Okay, uh, and. We look down at the clock and we're already five and a half hours or five hours and 15 minutes into the round. We still have 10, 11, 12 12 to play. Mm -hmm. And that's when the setbacks of having friends in high places kicks in like it's never kicked in before. Uh Do you know that the Seattle Mariners play baseball at T-Mobile Park? Did you know that? I've heard that, yes. Do you have any idea... What they did on Saturday afternoon's game. Did you see anything on Twitter or in the newspapers? Did you see anything? No. They paid tribute, Jayham, to the 1979 NBA championship team by having all of the guys out on the field. And instead of having a 6 o'clock start like they've always done on Saturdays or a 7 o'clock start, they decided to start the game at 4 o'clock. So in the middle of the 10th fairway... My man, Bounces. the big fella, says, I got to go. Gots to go. In a tournament. Good, good luck. And he gives me the fist. <laughs> no and way. And at that moment, he says, sorry. I mean, I got to, the Mariners are expecting us. We've got Gus. We've got Fred Brown. Right. We've got Wally Walker. We've got Lenny. We've got, we're all supposed to be on the field. I got to go. I'm sorry. I didn't realize it was going to take six hours to play a round of golf. I got to go. And with that, he gets in the cart. And off he goes, and I'm left with the other two in our in our pair, and I'm now best ball by myself. Three holes to go. I hit a nice shot on 10, nearly make birdie, make par, and I realize I've got two par fives to go. Yeah, 11, 11 and 12. With no partner. It's okay. With no partner. 
and I'm three over on my ball through 16 holes. Nice. Oh, don't, don't do that. Don't. I throw up all over myself in the last two holes. Just absolutely puke on my shoes over the last two holes. Double bogey, double bogey to finish. I get off the course, I'm steamed. I don't know whether to be more angry at the big fella for leaving me by myself. He could have been with strokes, been making sure. bogeys or pars. Or I'm, I'm just so pissed that I let it all slide away on two easy par fives. That's what I was going to say. I just let it all crap away. And I go, I get into my car, and I come home. I'm all mad at myself, and I'm wondering, how do I tell Jack? Do I text him? Do I not tell him? He thinks we're probably in the lead. Sure. He's over there at Safeco, sorry, at T-Mobile Park, and he's doing his whole thing. And I'm like, what do I do? How do I say it? And I get home, and I put on my phone. I look on Twitter. The first picture I see is all the Sonics on the field with signs and their numbers and their jerseys, and there's Jack Sigma on the field at Safeco, sorry, T-Mobile Park. And I'm like, oh, my God. And not 10 minutes later, a text comes in. Gotta, you're on time, having a great time. How'd you finish? Oh, oh God. What do you write? What do you write? I threw up on myself. <laughs> I hope you're enjoying your time at T-Mobile Park. I wrote double bogey at 11, double bogey at 12. I'm sorry. And he wrote, no worries. We'll get them tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> that is fantastic. Uh, okay. Now that you've told the story, we haven't started the show. Yeah. I need a breakdown of 11 and 12. Can we do that like in a later segment? Can we start the show and I do mean, it later? I want to get you out of here. I mean, your, you got more work to do over your, at the house. It's your deal. <laughs> you got more work to do. It's your deal. Uh, let's let's start the show. Okay. And remind me and I'll come back to it. Okay. I mean, I, I don't think it'll be interesting to anybody. I just it's puked. interesting to me. Oh, uh, I just every bad shot you could imagine I hit. All right. I couldn't I'm, hit I'm a shot. I'm just curious. I was paralyzed. I could and I was and I was I didn't know whether to be angry that I didn't have my partner or angry at myself. I was just all I was all messed up. All right. Uh, this is episode Jackie Robinson, it and it's is. brought to you by the Kirkland Office of Guild Mortgage. Lots of people put off looking into refinancing their home because it feels complicated and time-consuming. The problem is it could be costing you money. Jordan Flowers and his team, great at simplifying it in a matter of minutes and telling you how much you can save. 425-250-3150. Evergreen Golf called the premier wealth manager in the Northwest, headquartered right here in Bellevue. The Financial Times named them one of the top financial advisors in 2008. 18 offices in portland san francisco the napa valley check out their podcast evergreen exchange on apple itunes zeke's pizza game two of the nba finals goes to golden state how about game three this week on tv in your family room with a cherry bomb pizza and some craft beer zeke's pizza delivers both literally and figuratively order online zeke'spizza.com and daniel's broiler with four terrific locations for father's day including the brand new daniel's at the downtown hyatt regency open for breakfast lunch and dinner seven days a week still seats available for our mitch unfiltered dinner on june 12 Go to MitchUnfiltered.com to reserve your spots. Are you ready for episode Jackie Robinson? I am. Let's start it right now. Jackie Robinson smashes a double to left field and races on to third when he decoys Howard into making a throw behind 
to second base. Robinson drives a ground single into center field and Perillo scores to lengthen Brooklyn's lead five to three. Robinson dashes to the plate. It's close and umpire Summers calls him safe on the daring maneuver. But Yogi Berra doesn't think so. Unfiltered. There's no question that Kawhi Leonard is an unbelievably spectacular NBA player, but I watch him play, and I don't see a guy who in five or six years will be physically able to be a superstar in this league. He seems fragile. He seems like he runs around very delicately, gingerly. He almost looks like he's just an injury waiting to happen. Unfiltered. I have never seen anything quite like the Asian dominance of the LPGA Tour in any sport that I've ever watched in my lifetime. I marvel about it every week. I can't believe it. It's just week after week, you look at a leaderboard and eight, yeah. out, eight out of the top 10, eight, nine out of the top 10, sometimes 10 yeah. out of the top 10. I, I don't know what's wrong with Lexi Thompson. I love watching Lexi Thompson. I love watching Michelle Wee. I love, I love watching Stacey Lewis and what have you. But it's to the point where there are no American players that are winning LPGA Tour events. Mitch is unfiltered. What I didn't mention in the tease is this is a different show. Episode 42, episode Jackie, mm. is going to be different than all the rest. Mm. Typically, you and I banter. We will still banter. First and last segments and the tease segment. And in between, we stuff in two, three interviews. There's only going to be one in this particular episode. Okay, okay. I, I've made an executive decision that the one interview that I did first stands alone it's about 35 minutes long wow so we don't need any other interviews mm -hmm. and i don't know if you've heard me talk about it or see me talk about it on twitter the one guest's name won't be familiar to many his name is stephen elliott but his story is beyond incredible beyond powerful beyond interesting and as far as i'm concerned really really important who is Stephen Elliott? Stephen Elliott is an Olympia resident who was going to college in 2001. He was a summa cum laude student at Oral Roberts University. Mm -hmm. And he saw September 11, 2001, and he scrapped his future plans, his business plans, law school plans, and he went to fight for the country. And unfortunately, in 2004, it's been determined that either... Stephen's gun or his partner, a bullet in one of their two weapons, killed Pat Tillman. Mm. And he's had to live with that the rest of his life. And his story is incredible and moving and important. And what he's had to deal with and what happened on that day and the nightmares and the depression and the suicidal thoughts and the alcohol addiction and the divorce and trying to regroup and rebound oh. and trying to figure out whether he ever wanted to live again. Mm. His story is just so unfortunately common, but for us unique in such a way 
that I decided this is the this is the interview that stands alone. Mm-hmm. So and he and he wrote a new book that was was published this was came out this past week. It's called War Story, and he will be our one mm. and our only guest mm-hmm. on episode forty two. A very important. If you're only going to listen to one interview on this podcast since we started, this is the one that I would prefer everybody listen to. Okay, mm-hmm. so that will be the one episode. Some business, subscribe, listen, and rate. We need some fresh ratings, some fresh comments on Apple iTunes. As everybody knows, podcasts very often go away. I hear people complain that they go away all the time. Well, we need audience participation. We need audiences to help. And there's a lot of ways you can help. You can listen. You can click on every episode that you haven't heard just for a tiny bit. That helps us. You can spread the word and tell people that we're there. I can't tell. Even this weekend at the member member, I had somebody come up to me and say, I had no idea Mm. that you were doing a pod- somebody told me that you guys were doing a podcast and you and Jayham are great and I listened to you going to Hawaii and back and forth to Hawaii and I'm always traveling for business and it's a great podcast and I had no idea mm-hmm. that you were back doing a podcast. So anybody out there who's listening that's willing to tell a couple of friends that's or a right. couple of business partners, that uh, that would really help. NBA Finals, share with me a thought. Kawhi, I thought was going to come up with that steal at the end and Sean Livingston beat him to the ball and... Iguodala, everybody's wondering, should he have taken that shot with five and a half or six Buckets. seconds to go? He's made some knock, big... Knock it sh- down. Is the series over? I think the series is over. I, I, I think Toronto needed to win that game in order to win. I mean, right now, Golden State has wrestled back home court with that win. and I think it's going to be really tough for them to get it done from this point on. I just do. It's coming back to Toronto. Is it two two one one one? Two two one one one. It's coming back to Toronto. How about your boy Boogie Cousins playing lots of minutes? Like, did I, and I'm sorry, I don't know this. Did Clay Clay get hurt? Uh, no, uh, I I didn't see the whole game, okay. so I, I, I saw Boogie playing lots of minutes at the end. He was yeah, playing big well, minutes. Just the fact that he's back, um, even not in condition but scoring scoring huge and yeah. giving him a lift yeah and he was he was massive he was the the difference in in game two for yeah. sure yeah yeah so uh Barack Obama in the house mm-hmm. wearing awesome. a nice leather jacket a bomber I, I think he's the coolest guy on the face of the earth and this is not a political statement mm-hmm. I'm not taking a political stand sure. here I'm just telling you every time I see that guy I just want to be him He's just really, he is really smooth. That guy is really, really. And I saw the reaction that he got when they put oh, him on the big screen. Yeah, They were chanting MVP, yeah. MVP. Interesting, in a different country, you're getting that reaction. Yeah, how about that? Yeah. Kawhi Leonard, no longer the MVP. Kawhi Leonard is no longer a Toronto Raptor. Well, he's got a few more yeah, games to go. Well, he's got a few more games yeah. to go. Uh, did you see the tweets uh, this week by Malik McDowell, former Seattle Seahawk. Caught that. Who never played a game. Yeah. And we all wondered what the hell happened on that ATV accident. And his doctor, his his agent, Drew Rosenhouse, says uh, he's cleared to play. He's taking shots now at the Seahawks for not clearing him. He's calling the neurologist, the children's neurologist, because he's a children's hospital neurologist. He, he, I could read just one of the best neurologists in the world cleared me to play football again. Dr. Jeffrey Kutcher, MD neurologist versus the Seahawks. Dr. Samuel Browd, Seattle children pediatric neurologist, whose primary patients are under the age of two. He writes, the Seahawks have their own reasoning for not letting me play. 
but my head was not the issue. Mm-hmm. This is a guy, by the way, who had not tweeted, like who had tweeted one time, one time in two or three years, and is all of a sudden just taking shot after shot after shot at the Seahawks. Now that the Seahawks are looking for their money. I back. was going to say money motivates, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, in that situation, he's he's clearly not wanting to pay back that last 800 grand and uh, is setting himself up for some type of litigation slash defense. And it's not going to work, but sure. You see a lot of teams lining up to sign Malik no. McDowell. And even and when why do you he, think? he went to visit Dallas and everybody said, oh, okay, Dallas is going to be a front runner to yeah. sign him. And then yeah. – so why has Dallas not made an offer? I mean, there's a reason. He's damaged goods, and uh, the Seahawks understand that. Well, this is a serious, serious For thing. For sure. I mean, do you want to be the NFL team that puts him out, out on the field and then has one nope. wrong hit and they're taking him off on a stretcher? I don't think I want to be. Is it, is it worth it? I don't know what he can add. I know that I was excited when they drafted him over the potential of what sure. he could bring to the Seahawks, but I don't know at this point whether it's it's worth the risk of having to hold your breath with the guy every time he goes out on the playing if, field. If you're an owner or a GM or a president of an NFL team yeah, and you bring him in and let him have physical contact, he takes a hit and goes down. Whatever state he's in after that, and he comes back and says, you saw my medical records. I'm suing you for $250 million. Uh, no one's going to take that. No one is going to take... He's not that type of game changer. He's an unknown commodity at this point, right? I mean, he, he's out of college, one year in the NFL, never played a down, right. head injury. No one is Sounds going to... Sounds to me like you don't think he'll ever play a down in the NFL. He won't. Which is a shame. And I know that a lot of people were taking... I don't know if you read the tweets and the reaction of Seahawks fans were really harsh with him. Yeah. And, you know, part of that, I, I know that there's a lot of people who feel burned. I'm sure the Seahawks sure. feel burned. Look, you got on an ATV. That's you, right. You, very irresponsible decision after you signed a contract with us. You made the decision. And I know he's made some other poor decisions and he's been in trouble with the law. And maybe mm-hmm. this is me and my my recent past speaking, yeah. so I apologize. Yeah. Maybe there's this, you know, he's still a young guy who may never be able to play football again right, right. because of an injury. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe it was a mistake to get on that vehicle, mm-hmm. but he's still a young guy with the rest of his life ahead of him. Mm-hmm. And it just, it feels it feels real bad to me. I, I just the whole situation well, is, it stinks. Is bad, yeah. It, it really does yeah. stink. You know, in forty one P, you and I talked about famed golf instructor Hank Haney. Yes, we did. He got suspended earlier in the week by satellite radio, mm-hmm. Sirius XM, for making racially insensitive remarks about the LPGA tour. He was asked on his radio show about the ladies US Open and he said I'll just predict that the last name will be Lee. He didn't give a first name. I I get a bunch of them right, he says, meaning, you know, Korean Korean golfers named Lee. Yep. And um, he says, I can't name six players. And it was racially insensitive. Everybody agreed. And they suspended him. And he even said, I accept the suspension. Yep. Do you know what the PS to that story is? A Lee won. A Lee won. Yeah. And Hank Haney tweeted. Oh, have you he seen did. have you no. seen Hank Haney's no. tweet? So a Lee won. Jong Gon Lee from South Korea ends <laughs> oh, up winning. No. And he tweets immediately. 
my prediction that a Korean woman would be atop the leaderboard at the Women's U.S. Open was based on statistics and facts. Korean women are absolutely dominating the LPGA Tour. If you asked me again, my answer would be the same, but worded more carefully. That's Hank Haney after Ali, in fact, did win the Ladies' U.S. Open. You know the LPGA was cringing at the fact that Ali won. Yes. I mean, just... Everybody was rooting against her. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Anyone else, anyone, Yeah. so that Hank Haney could not be correct, quote-unquote, correct in this situation. But you and I still agree on the core of the discussion, which is, you know... The Koreans are just, it's, un- the Asians They've been are, dominant. they're just, it's, they have taken over the tour. Absolutely. And in most weekends, you see five of the top six, seven yeah, yeah. of the top nine. It's amazing. Yeah. And, and for there to be, you know, international interest, there needs to be Lexi Thompson's yeah. and, and, and U.S. And, she, and she, women. She, she played well. Yeah. And Jessica Corda was there for a six minute. Six out of 11, by the way. Six of the top really? 11. Ameri- American born golfers. Six out of 11, which I think is a pretty high number yeah. in, in, in recent terms. Anyway, uh, I just thought we'd, we'd mention that. And, you know, I've been doing the Athlete of the Week. Mm-hmm. We'll finish this first segment up and then get our interview in with Stephen Elliott that I really hope everybody will listen to and hope I'll get reaction to it either on Twitter or where have you, Facebook. Um, but before we get to that interview, I have been giving the athlete. Can you remember who the two Athletes of the Week were? I've given two athletes of the week so far. Yeah. The last two weeks. Can you remember? No. You can't remember either one? No. Okay. Let me, let me, let me, uh, maybe you've taken no, too no. many the, shots of the, the head. The dude, the, the Russian dude. Oh. The Russian dude was last week. Yes. The Siberian farmer who was the winner of the face slapping competition. Right, which was dumb. No, it wasn't dumb. The and guy's then amazing. You the, tell that to his face. The week, yeah. The yeah. week before, I thought it was the high school sprinter. And you said, good guess, but that wasn't it. And yeah. it was somebody else, but I don't remember who it was. It was the jockeyless horsey. Oh, the jockeyless horsey. That's the right. jockeyless horsey That's who right. ran in the Preakness right. and went around the entire track. That's right. Well, I have three, <laughs> three. nominees for this week's okay. Athlete of the Week. All right. One of them you're going to be disgusted with uh-huh. because she was the undoing of your alma mater softball team. Oh. The pitcher for UCLA. How do you, how do you, I mean, how does she Hits not a get home consideration? Run, she throws it, a shutout. How many pitches? Like 180 or something. 179 yeah. pitches. Yeah. 179 pitches, 16 strikeouts, no runs scored. And then, oh, by the way, a homer in the bottom of the tent to win it to send them to the championship series. Unreal. So her name is Rachel Garcia, but she didn't get it. Okay. She's just a, a nominee mm-hmm. for my athlete of the week. Uh, there's another guy who actually Jordan Flowers of our sponsor, Kirkland Office of Guild Mortgage, gave us. I don't know if you know the story of this football player for the Cleveland Browns named Damien, Damon Sheehy Giuseppe. Have you ever heard of him? Do not know anything about him. Okay. And how could he possibly be in the mix now? What did he? What is he doing in June that would give? Let me him- let me just read to you this story, okay. and you tell me whether he belongs as athlete of the week. All right, and he's only a nominee. He didn't get it. 
Uh, when the Browns signed Damian Sheehy Giuseppe earlier this offseason, the notable thing about his bio was that he went to something called Phoenix College and had never been in a pro camp. But the way he got into the Browns camp is a remarkable story. One of perseverance, determination, and a good bluff. Uh-oh. All right, here's the story. He crashed a workout by pretending to know Browns personnel man Alonzo Highsmith and now has not one of the 90 spots on the roster. Sheehy Giuseppe hasn't played organized football since his junior college stint in 2016, but traveled the country trying to scare up a, a college scholarship and then pro tryouts. He paid for a chance to try out for the CFL to find out it was a waste of time. He tried out for the Arena League. Nothing worked. Eventually, he heard about a workout in Florida that Alonzo Highsmith would be attending. So he went to the workout. He flew to Florida, went to the workout. Someone asked him, who are you? And he said, I'm a friend of Alonzo Highsmith's, who he didn't know. You know Alonzo Highsmith? Yeah, I know Alonzo. All right. So he goes inside. No. And the first thing he does is he runs over to Alonzo Highsmith and he introduces himself. <laughs> That's to make sure genius. That, to make sure that if, any, if anybody asks him, do you know this guy? Yeah, I, yeah, I met, I met yeah. the guy. So he does that. He proceeds to run a 4.3840. Shut up. No. And Alonzo's looking at him, timing him and said, hey, come to, come to, come to tryouts. Right. And here he is. He's one of the 90... Wide receiver. He's one of the 90 spots on the Cleveland Browns roster as of the speed. So I think that guy, Damon Sheehy, Giuseppe, deserves some consideration Absolutely. for Athlete of the Week. But he doesn't get it. He doesn't get it. He doesn't get it. Because the Athlete of the Week has got to be the one and the only Andy Ruiz Jr. <laughs> athlete, use, use that term... Use that term. The undisputed <laughs> heavyweight champion of the world, Andy Ruiz Jr. Tell me you've seen pictures or video of Andy Ruiz Jr. The guy is punch drunk fat. <laughs> He's out there swinging, throwing haymakers. Oh, God. And wins. He was a last. He wasn't even supposed to be the I opponent. Know. This, they're calling this the biggest upset since Buster Douglas. So the heavy. So I don't follow anymore. But the undisputed heavyweight champion, undefeated, was a guy named Anthony Joshua. Yeah, and he's chiseled yes. like you've never seen there was, before. It was supposed to set up a larger yeah. heavyweight matchup. Yeah. yeah. And oh so, my. So the guy that he was supposed to fight tested positive for B PEDs not once. Not twice, but three times, and they threw him out. And a month before the fight, they needed somebody to fight. So this guy, Andy Ruiz, how do you try to explain to people who have not seen this what Andy Ruiz really? He's got the tattoos across his chest, across his back. He's so fat that he's not for people that are boxing fans. He's not butterbean. No, he's not butter close bean, though. Fat. But he's he's definitely there's you don't go this guy's a boxer and in shape and the heavyweight oh champion God. of the world he's more excuse me he's more he's like George Foreman when Foreman was fifty five still fighting okay he's so fat how fat is he let me tell you how fat he is 
he's so fat, this guy, that the trunks yeah. didn't couldn't come up over the belly. No, he... His belly button was showing the whole... I've never seen a boxer's belly... Normally, their trunks are over yeah. their belly button. They've got the belt. Yeah. His, his trunks couldn't get up over the belly. His belly button was showing the whole fight. <laughs> I wish he's people a, could he's, see your eyes. He's You're a like last, intense right He's now. a last minute... I know, substitution. <laughs> and yeah. he knocked the guy out. Yeah. He knocked the guy out. Yeah. And it was and then, bad, and too. Have you seen his celebration in the ring after? Yeah, I mean. Jumping up and down. He's like Mickelson. Oh <laughs> like Mickelson jumping to the oh Masters. The guy, the guy's trainer comes running out there, hugging in the middle of the floor. My athlete of the week has got to be. There he is. It's got to be. Andy Ruiz Jr. New, I think, undisputed <laughs> heavyweight champion and one of the biggest upsets in in. I would say professional boxing. He was like history. 250 to 1 or something. something. Well, I think they were 30. They were saying 30 to 1. You, you had to oh, bet, was it 30 to 1? It was 30 to 1 on the champion. You had to bet 30. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, you had to bet 30 to win a dollar on Joshua. And this guy came in geez. and beat him on a month notice. He, that's all he had. He had a month notice. Yeah, he looked right. like it. All right. So I've got, I've got this interview that's important to me. Yeah, no doubt. And I think people will appreciate it. It will be moving. It will be touching. It will be difficult. It will be awkward. It will be emotional. It was emotional for me to do it. You're going to hear it in my voice. It was emotional just to actually do the interview. In fact, I was thinking back to the radio days. I don't remember having uh, an emotional interview quite like this one. This one hit me in the right place or the wrong place at yep. the wrong time because of what I have been and going through. And just, just, just this guy's story is so amazing. I will tell you this. I've never seen you set up an interview as long as you and I have been doing this on the radio and on the podcast, right. except for episode one. Yeah. Did I oversell it? No. I'm just where you have talked about the interview and what it means to you and what, what people are about to hear in your eyes and in your voice. I'm looking at you. People don't have the, yeah. the benefit of what Thank I God. have. To, yeah. God they don't. But the fact, the way you're talking about it. Yeah. I, I know how, important this interview is and, and it's very visible to me if you only ever hear one that we ever do on the podcast mitch unfiltered this is the one that i want you to hear mm. this is the the only one that i care that you listen to um because i think it's a it's important to know what are military people i mean everybody's read about it what sure. military people go through when they come home and then you add all the layers the pat tillman story sure. that it was this guy's bullet we think that killed Pat Tillman and what he had to deal with and how to fight through darkness and what became of him and his life. And just to hear him now be able to say, I'm alive, I'm well, I'm enjoying life. I don't want to spoil the interview, sure. but just the whole thing really touched yep. me. Yep. And so I hope I haven't oversold it, but I'd like for everybody to listen to it. And then we'll finish up with the Gerald McCoy news, the Peyton Manning news. I do want to speak about June 12th again. <laughs> we want to talk about June 12th because I have an opportunity for some of our listeners to join me at the best golf course in the state of Washington. Uh, I'd like to talk about all that, but let's do the interview next. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Jay Ham, you've heard this before. You're going to hear it again. Everybody should take a look at their mortgage payments and their interest rates from time to time. 30-year fixed rates are in the low fours right now. If you are somewhere higher than that, 
then you're definitely missing an opportunity to save some serious money every month. Jordan Flowers and his Guild Mortgage team in Kirkland is the place to call, plus they're great partners of this podcast. The 2017 J.D. Power number one lender in customer satisfaction. They'll set the payoff schedule to the amount of months that you're already into the loan so you don't lose any time on the payoff. The Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage with three loan officers that are in the top 1% of the United States, including Jordan, by the way. They're huge fans of the Mitch Unfiltered podcast, so pick up the phone and dial them up and just see if there's any money that you can save. 425-250-3150. Again, 425-250-3150. Over 55 years in business, the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. Just a couple of weekends until Father's Day, and I've got a great way to celebrate. Take your fathers to Daniel's Broiler, and to show all the fathers out there how much they care, Daniel's has come up with some special Father's Day hours and packages. Both Daniel's Bellevue and Daniel's South Lake Union will serve an extended dinner from 2 p.m. to 9 p.m. Daniel's Les Shy will have an a la carte brunch from 9.30 to 3, and then serve dinner from 4 to 9. And downtown Daniel's at the brand new Hyatt Regency is serving a world-class brunch buffet from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m., which is $60 a person for adults, 20 per person for children. Downtown Daniel serving dinner from 5 to 10. Make your Father's Day reservations today by going to danielsbroiler.com. Happy Father's Day from Daniel's Broiler. Unfiltered. You know, I've been interviewing guests on my radio show and now podcast for nearly 25 years. And I can't remember if I've ever had a genuine hero grace us with his presence, but I can today. A man who in 2003 scrapped a bright, immediate professional future to fight for his country, defend our freedoms. What a great privilege it is to welcome into the podcast Stephen Elliott, He lives in the Northwest. He's the author of a new book called War Story. Sometimes the real fight starts after the battle. Stephen, thanks so very much for joining us on Mitch Unfiltered. Thanks so much for having me, Mitch. I'd like to begin with the present and ask you how you're doing after all that you've been through that we'll obviously discuss in the interview. Living here in the Northwest, I know you're a Mariners fan. Get us up to speed on how you're feeling, how your family is, and how you're doing. Uh, really good. I mean, we have our, you know, we have our ups and downs like, uh, like any family does. And I have, uh, I'm blessed with, you know, my wife, Brooke and our two girls who are, uh, 17 and seven. So that keeps life interesting <laughs> and dynamic on any given day. But yeah, we're, we're doing really well. And, you know, all the, all the regular ups and downs of life, notwithstanding, we're, we're very fortunate uh, with, with what we have. And, and, uh, and yeah, today it was uh, just, leaving the Mariners game and a uh, beautiful day, even though the Mariners came up short. Um, really, really fortunate to spend uh, some time this afternoon at the ballpark. Stephen, the book begins with the friendly fire that killed Pat Tillman and continues with the devastating toll that it took on you for so many years after. A problem that we can never talk about enough and do whatever it takes to get those just like you the help and support you so richly deserve Uh, I'm working my way backwards, I know, and then I'll skip around a little bit. Talk about that help. Talk about that support. Explain to us 
what what saved your life? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it is, um, you know, I mean, so you know, part of the, a, a big part of the challenge is the fact that, you know, going into um, this war in general, um, you know, I didn't have a context for the unseen wounds of war. Um, and in fact, I think I instinctively just diminished the idea that if if you come back from war with all your fingers and toes, but, you know, you're quote unquote bummed out from having to go um, or from loss that you experienced, that just means that you're weak. And the fact of the matter is that, uh, you know, we as human beings, we're not designed to kill other human beings. And so um, the cost of training hearts and minds to be able to take the life of others, it's exactly that. It costs something. And so for me, I, I think a lot of it is just being able to recognize and give words to what's going on within, uh, what's going on in your heart, what's going on in your mind, and, and to have permission for that to not be uh, neat and clean and tidy. And to the extent that, you know, folks are struggling with, you know, what they've had to see in, in a combat environment or, you know, guilt from what they've done or left undone, um, you know, uh, or what have you. I think half the battle, frankly, for me, was just being able to um, um, have other people around me invited into that conversation and affirm the fact that that's, that's more normal than not, <laughs> that just like a gunshot wound, not, not everyone leaves the combat zone with a gunshot wound or you know uh, a physical wound. Not everyone leaves Iraq or Afghanistan or any other war zone with, um, with a, a, a wound of the heart or spirit, but a lot of people do. And, um, you know, for me, um, a lot of the journey was just being able to get to a place to where I could even name that wound and then um, invite people, uh, invite other people into that conversation, um, because um, none of us were designed to live a life in isolation. We were all designed to live in community. And the more that we invite people into our brokenness and invite people into, um, you know, some of the darker places of our hearts, the more that there, there can be um, the opportunity for healing. The voice is Stephen Elliott, the author of a new book called War Story. I want to go back to September 11, 2001, Stephen. You were a summa cum laude student at Oral Roberts University. And that's when, not unlike Pat Tillman, by the way, your future, your immediate future plans changed. Describe what was going through your mind as you watched the terrorist attacks and how long it took you to come to grips with, I've got to do something about this. Yeah, I mean, it, it was definitely um, it was definitely surreal. I was I was beginning the junior, junior year of my undergraduate business studies at ORU. And, um, you know, I, I didn't have any grand plan for military service. I, I played more than my fair share of G.I. Joe when I was a kid. But, but I, uh, I mean, I plan on getting a business degree, maybe going to law school, maybe doing something else. And, uh, yeah, 9-11 happened. And that was um, – it was jarring, you know, to say the least, um, something that was distant. You know, I was in Oklahoma at the time, and that was in New York City. And initially that felt like a whole world away. And then very quickly you realize, um, 
you know, how, how small the world is and that, you know, I even had a, a friend of mine who had graduated prior to me that was in the World Trade Center on uh, 9-11 and he made it out okay. Mm. But then immediately you realize something that seems far removed um, becomes, you know, very close to home. And I don't know how to really describe it other than the fact that I just couldn't shake it. Like I just couldn't shake, you know, the fact that between me and whatever else was going to happen in my life was military service. And, um, uh, yeah, I, I don't, it, it felt more like a, like if I didn't do it, I was just going to bust in two. It didn't feel like this really calm, rational sort of, um, you know, calculus as to what I'm going to do with my life. It just felt like, you know, I, I just have to do that. And if I don't do that, uh, I'm as a, as a being, I'm kind of bust apart. Yeah. And so, yeah, that, that's, I mean, that's a reader's digest version, but that's, that's kind of, um, that's kind of how it played out for me. I just felt like I couldn't continue with my life without having spent some time in uniform. Steve, in April 2004, you're deployed to the Afghanistan-Pakistan border. It's April 22nd. Just a terrible, unfortunate, unlucky, use whatever adjective you see fit. May I delicately and with the utmost amount of respect ask you to share with our audience, as you've done with your readers, what happened uh, from your perspective? Yeah, of course. So um, by that time, um, you know, I graduated from ORU uh, May of 2003, and then three weeks later, I, um, I I was warmly welcomed at the United States Army at Fort Benning, Georgia, and spent you know six months in training, becoming uh, effectively becoming an Army Ranger. And by uh, April 2004, uh, our our Ranger platoon was deployed to the Afghan-Pakistan border, conducting combat operations there. And on April 22nd. Um, our platoon in in the midst of trying to accomplish multiple objectives uh, that have been assigned to us. Um, you know, we were, uh, my elemental platoon was ambushed. Um, and um, as we fought our way through that ambush and, and as the smoke cleared as a result of that, um, we, we came to learn that we had sustained four casualties, two dead and two wounded. Um, one of those who was killed that day on April 22nd, 2004 was Pat, Pat Hellman, uh, who, who I served with and whose brother, Kevin, I also served with at 2nd Ranger Battalion. And then as those events continued to unfold, um, we learned very quickly that those casualties, Pat's death, the death of another Afghan soldier, and then the two wounded were all um, sustained as a result of friendly fire, where one part of our platoon uh, mistakenly fired on another part of the platoon, believing them to be the enemy in the midst of the confusion, um, but obviously that being uh, not being the case. And then as that further enveloped, um, it, it became clear that there was probably two individuals more than likely that were responsible for Pat's death. And uh, I was one of those two rangers. And so um, that was the day, April 22nd, 2004, that for, for many people and for many reasons, you know, life changed dramatically. Did you ever need to know whether it was you or the other? That's a good question. Um the answer is yes and no. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. In that um, part of you wants, the part of us that I think wants the truth and just wants to know, wants to know, you know, like I just, I, I want to know, like, was it, was it me or was it not me? Or was it me and some other guy? You know what I mean? Like there's a part of us, I think as humans that just sort of viscerally wants the truth and that's good. And then there's another part of you that, you know, you look on balance, like, 
you know, I know that, you know, whether my rounds um, injured or killed Pat, I know that I fired on friendlies that day. And so then another part of you feels like, you know, the ballistics report to some degree feels academic because it doesn't change, you know, if technically rounds from your weapon killed him or not, it doesn't change the fact that you made the wrong choice to fire on friendlies, even though you felt like you had good reasons to do so because you thought they were the bad guys. And so, yeah, I mean, that, that piece of it is, it's complicated because it doesn't change the decision you made that day. And, uh, and at the same time, there's a part of you that certainly wants the truth, whether that truth um, is, is in one direction or the other. So I'm not sure how well it answered your question, but it's, it's kind of a, kind of a complex reality, I guess I would put it that way. But Stephen, you just used the words, you made the wrong choice. Did you make the wrong choice? I've seen you describe the conditions around the issue as it was being dark. It was a little bit after sunset. It was smoky. It was a, did you make the wrong choice or was this the appropriate action, just an unfortunate, terrible accident? Yeah. I mean, I think that gets back to the um i'll give you another both and answer i think okay. because i've kind of went around and around and around um you know on some days you know i felt like i was perfectly justified in what i did and then other days i felt like yeah. you know i was a criminal um and then everywhere in between and i think in this case there's a both and reality that isn't necessarily exclusive for one another. And the both and reality is I'm, I, I did make the wrong choice because um, I objectively made the wrong choice because rounds that I fired were fired at friendly forces. You can't argue the fact that that was the right choice. Uh, and so that is true. I, I fired where there was not the enemy okay. at the same time there were a variety of mitigating circumstances to include lighting, to include, you know, muzzle flashes uh, coming from that direction, to include lack of communication between the two elements, to include, you know, my superior firing on that position as well. So um, in that regard, uh, it was the quote unquote right decision because all of these information points pointed to the fact that this was um, an enemy position and, and we needed to fire there to defend ourselves. I guess that's part of the messy arithmetic of the whole thing is that it's, it's not an, I, I don't believe for me anyway, to this day, it's not an either or um, it's a both. And it's a, I objectively made the wrong choice. You can't argue with that because those weren't bad guys. And at the same time, there was lots and lots of information that I was keying off of um, that would lead me to believe that those were bad guys and I needed to shoot at. Um, and so that's part of the, yeah, that's just part of the messiness of the whole thing as far as how you sort all that out. Stephen Elliott is the voice. The name of the new book is War Story. I want to get to the 24 hours later when you had, when reality you know, surfaced and you had understood what you did and then the, the days, weeks, months, and years that followed, which really is what this story is all about. Uh, but before I do that, I want to stop and ask you, Stephen, were you aware of the controversial and kind of deceptive way that our nation learned of Pat Tillman's death and the circumstances surrounding it? Uh, did you know that at the time? When did you find out that at the time? And how did you feel 
when you found out how we found out? Yeah, no, I didn't. I mean, so we were in country um, when that happened, obviously, and then there was a couple of investigations that took place in country, and we were told in no uncertain terms, um, you know, in the course of those investigations, you know, tell the truth. Uh, as best as you remember it, you know, you're not going to be, you know, grilled over the coals for uh, every single detail, but, but tell what happened the best that you know it. And it was no, there was no question when we were in country that, you know, the Pat was killed by friendly fire. Um, but then, you know, we went under, uh, we, we, we engaged in those investigations and then we were back out doing raids and patrols. Um, you know, they were trying to kind of get us back on the horse, so to speak, as far as, you know, some positive momentum for our unit in the wake of such a, you know, horrific event. And so, um, you know, we're on the, the Afghan-Pakistan border, you know, we don't have, uh, we don't have access to, I didn't have access to, you know, I wasn't watching cable news. This is, makes me sound old. I joke with this with my 17 year old daughter. It's just like, you know, back in the day before I didn't have a cell phone, you know, in 2004, it was like, it, we were making fun of people on deployment who spent $400 buying an iPod. It's just like, that was the cutting edge technology of today, you know? Yeah. And so it's crazy to think about that as far as how much technology and just information transfer has changed in such a short period of time. But yeah, we didn't know. And we were, you know, they were working us like dogs, you know, doing raids and patrols until we came home. And then it wasn't until we came home. I mean, I just assumed that the Tillman family and everybody else had been told what we knew to be sort of an obvious truth was the fact that, well, yeah, of course he was killed by friendly fire. Um, and maybe we didn't know the specific weapon that killed him, but that, that was sort of academic um, at that point. And then when we got home, um, it became evident that that wasn't the case. It became evident that the family had been told a different narrative. Um, and then um, sort of the wheels fell off on the whole thing. And then, um, you know, myself and, and four others were ultimately dismissed from the Ranger Regiment because of our actions taken on that day. And so, yeah, it was a really stark reversal where you felt like there was sort of a false sense of closure where it's just like, well, you know, we, we did two investigations. We told everyone what happened and, and everyone understands kind of what happened. Um, but, but unbeknownst to us, there was a very, very different narrative that yeah. was being portrayed yeah. um, back in the States. You speak of your demotion, Stephen. Fair or unfair? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's a good question. It's a fair question. It's Yeah, it's complicated. I mean, on the one hand, being in the Ranger Regiment is, um, is very much a, it's a, it's a privilege, not a right. I mean, they can kick you out for any reason. Just because they don't, they don't like you, they can get rid of you. And so there's no, like, there's no constitutional amendment that I'm aware of that guarantees you, like, the right of serving in that unit. So they can do with, with you whatever they want. And, again, it kind of goes back to, you know, your previous question, which is a really good one. If you fired on friendlies, which I did, for reasons that could be understandable – is there guilt or punishment associated with that? And that's, I mean, that's hard to reconcile. I mean, um, so, so yeah, I mean, the, the, the truth of the answer is I, I don't really know. Um, and, and I'm not, um, I'm not exactly an unbiased party and, you know, assigning what my own punishment should be. You know, I, I know I had no malicious intent with respect to Pat or anyone else that I served with. Yeah. I, I, I certainly had malicious intent with respect to who I thought was the enemy. I wanted to kill him. Um, that's why I pulled the trigger. But uh, as far as the ramifications of that, that's part of the messiness of the story is that you have somebody in myself who um, 
believed they were doing what was the quote unquote right thing in that instant, but it couldn't have been more the wrong thing in terms of its ramifications. And so, um, so yeah, I, I don't, I, I don't really know. I mean, um, I, I mean, I, maybe I, maybe I should have gotten kicked out of the unit, which I did. And, you know, maybe I shouldn't, but at the end of the day, like whether I was a ranger or not, it doesn't change the fact that, you know, people got hurt and people died that day. You can't just shrug your shoulders and say, well, the mitigating circumstances were such that uh, it's all understandable. It's just like, well, tell that to the family, you know, tell that, tell that to well, the people who lost somebody. Well, let me, let me just in the, in the nicest way possible say you didn't die that day, but you were hurt that day too, Stephen. Yeah. And then the, yeah. the days and weeks and months and years that followed this horrible accident, which is what it was. Yeah. Um, if you could try to describe the sadness, the darkness, the sleepless nights, the decision of whether or not you wanted to continue living uh, in the yeah. uh, in the subsequent months and years, to the best of your ability, share with us, please. Yeah, for sure. I mean, basically, I mean, it, it took a while for the shock to wear off, and then once the shock kind of wore off, um, you know, um, you know, I was you know exhibiting, you know, pretty classic, um, you know, chronic post traumatic stress disorder, um, you know, hypervigilance, you know, difficulty concentrating, depression, anxiety, you know, et cetera. Um, you know, and a lot of medicating with alcohol, you know, at night to try and take the edge off and just, um, you know, sleep, you know, that took a toll over a lot of years. Um, but you know, a lot of it was, you know, this sort of toxic cocktail of, uh, guilt and shame. Um, it was guilt for what I, uh, I had done, but then it was shame for, who I felt that made me, um, you know, guilt is an issue of, uh, is I have done something wrong. Um, shame is I am something wrong. And that's, um, that strikes right at the heart of your identity. And so, um, you know, I, um, I left the army in 2007 and I, you know, got hired with a big wealth management firm and, you know, did well. And the optics of my life were very positive. You know, I had a wife and had a family and I was, you know, making good money and, you know, doing a job that, you know, people would immediately say, oh, well, you're successful. But I was pretty much just dying, you know, on the inside as I um, could never get away from, the uh, the reality of you know war and and um, what I had experienced you know in in April of 2004. So yeah, I mean for me um, it was just uh, a kind of a slow grinding process of just fatigue. You know you don't sleep well for years, you don't eat well. Um, you're not actually. I mean there's just all sorts of things that in and of themselves are not positive but they're just added on top of sort of the wound that you're experiencing. And then after a while, it's just like, I'm just, it's not even that I don't want to be alive. It's just that I'm just tired of being alive. (laughs) And unless somebody can show me how to like, you know, shut off this application that's running. um, I don't want to do this anymore because I don't sleep and um, I, I, I don't know how to, I don't know how to get free of the past that seems to be constantly invading my present. And that was, you know, my reality for, you know, over 10 years in the midst of a lot of really good things, you know, a lot of really good things in my life. It wasn't like every day was this torture chamber, but it was this sort of persistent grinding uh, that just sort of ultimately kind of wears you down. I heard you say on a recent interview, it depended on the scorecard. 
right? Uh, yeah. Wh- how you were doing? How were you doing? Well, I was doing well on one scorecard, but very differently on the other scorecard. Really, the only scorecard that that counts, Stephen. You you kept it quiet, obviously, for a long time. I can imagine the stress and the eating out from the inside this information keeping quiet and then you kind of cross that impossible bridge by deciding to tell others about who you were and you were that Stephen Elliott and then obviously to write the book how hard yeah. was it how how hard was it how difficult was it to cross that bridge yeah well I mean um, at first I mean that, that bridge first started being crossed five years ago with uh, ESPN when they um, they approached us about doing a piece from the shooter's perspective on the 10 year anniversary of Pat's death. And, you know, initially when they first contacted us, it was just like, yeah, there's no way I'm returning that phone call. (laughs) Like I've just spent the last, I've just spent the last decade, you know, artfully uh, dodging any association with even the army, let alone the Ranger regiment, let alone Pat Tillman. And now you want me to go on television and talk about that? You know, no, thanks. You know, we kind of leaned into that a little bit, and and uh, we we knew we were very candid with them, and just said, well, for for us initially, it was the initial idea was, well, if we're just going to talk about what happened in 2004, and that's it, that's a big waste of time because there's no shortage of sad stories that you can listen to. You don't need me for for entertainment value, but if we're going to talk about what happened in 2004, so that we can pivot. And talk about the fact that what I've experienced in terms of post-traumatic stress, what I've experienced in terms of, you know, the mental illness component is not unique to me. The only thing unique about this story is the fact that it involves somebody who happened to play in the NFL. Other than that, this story gets played out thousands and thousands of times a day. So if you're willing to talk about that and pivot towards awareness and action for solving those problems, then sign us up. And, you know, we did that and in 20, um, I guess, 2014 and the feedback we were just we, we got from a lot of those pieces from military and civilian alike, even from a lot of civilians who, you know, they'd never served in the military, but they, you know, they've dealt with, you know, all manner of, you know, um, anxiety, depression, all sorts of stuff in their own lives. Basically, the feedback we got was keep going. Um, we need to keep having these conversations and that, again, you know, the, the, the stuff that I was dealing with was not unique. And so then that just was like, well, if, you know, if, if it helps people for us to continue to talk about this and, and for this conversation, then, um, then yeah, we'll, we'll tell the story, uh, in whatever medium that is available to us. And, you know, the immediate medium that was available to us was a book. And so once we sort of cross that bridge, um, there's kind of no going back in a way, uh, particularly in this environment. You know, you can't all of a sudden, um, I can't go to ESPN and just delete my interviews. (laughs) Those are sort of like, as as long as we have like an electrical grid and an internet, those are sort of like part of our culture. And so that's really, in a way, that's that's a really good thing because it's just like, well, screw it. I guess this is what we're doing because you have certain days where you question whether or not that's a good idea. But yeah, essentially, you know, it feels like to us, like, I don't have this, like, I don't have this like big existential moment every day where I say, you know, these are the big reasons why I'm doing what I'm doing. If I didn't get up and in whatever capacity was available to me and tell our story, um, I just feel like I would kind of bust. 
So it's not even so much like I'm making some big grand decision to do good. I just feel like I don't know what else I would do because I know that I'm not alone. I know that the unseen wounds of war, whether they're for people who have worn a uniform or not, are not confined to me. And I don't want those people to suffer in isolation like I did for so long. Did I see and read where 20 vets take their lives every day? Is that right? Roughly 22, according to the VA's own numbers. Yeah. Did you ever consider reaching out to the Tillman family? You said you had a relationship with Kevin. What's your relationship with that family? Or is that just something that is incomplete and uh, needs to play out over the, the next many years? Yeah, I mean, um, I've, I've had um, a few years ago, um, you know, I, I finally had the guts to kind of reach out to Pat's mom and um, uh, Mary Tillman, and, and she's been incredibly gracious and incredibly kind to us. And, um, you know, she's been, she, to my knowledge, she hasn't read the book. She, she knows that I've written the book and has been supportive of that. She hasn't endorsed it by any means, but she's been very supportive of the idea of me sharing my perspectives. And yeah, I mean, we were, you know, in 2016, my wife and I had the privilege of sitting with her and, and um, sharing with her and, and connecting with her. And yeah, she's she's been a very, not to speak for her, not to put you know, any words in her mouth, but she's been a very kind and gracious uh, person in our lives as we've kind of walked through the latter stages of this journey. The name of the book is War Story. Sometimes the real fight starts after the battle. Stephen Elliott is the author. And I wanted to ask you to answer your own question, if you don't mind. Mm. I, saw, sure. I saw a video before we started this interview, and you asked, and I think I've got the, the question verbatim here. You said, what do I do with the fact that I hurt people? What do mm. I do with the fact that sometimes I hurt them unintentionally and other times on purpose? What do I do with that? And that's a very personal question and I ask you that question I ask you to answer that question for my own well-being and for others that are listening to this podcast and thinking geez I'd like to hear what Stephen has to say about that yeah some questions are easier to ask than they are to answer aren't they Um, so I think in my own life I've gotten in the most trouble by trying to justify my actions and trying to divorce myself from the damage, albeit unintentional, of my actions. And, and, and that never works out very well for me. When I turn into my own defense attorney, providing an apologetic for why what I did you should be okay with, and I'm just kind of sorry how that turned out, where I've experienced life and where I've experienced growth of relationship and, and um, new life, even in places where I thought that that was impossible, was when I looked pretty plainly at the ramifications of my decisions, as ugly as those might be. And I just said, I am sorry. Not, I'm sorry for how that made you feel. Not, I'm sorry for what you thought about that, but just, I am sorry. And that's a, um, that's a really hard place to get to because it strikes right at the very core of our ego. I don't like to be wrong. 
I don't like to be um, on the wrong side of what is right. And, and I don't certainly don't like to be seen as weak. I don't like to be seen as mistaken. But so oftentimes, you know, moving forward in relationship just requires us to say that, not just say it, but actually recognize that, you know, I might have had really good intentions, but this was just garbage. <laughs> and what I did, even with the best of intentions, turned out really poorly. And I have to own that. And I have to learn from that. And I need to tell you that, that I'm really sorry for that. I'm willing to basically lower my shield, lower my defenses, and accept whatever attack that you have against me. And I just have to accept that. And that's hard. And it, it's easier for me to say that on, on this show than it is. I mean, I will all go home this evening to, you know, a wonderful wife and two daughters. And inevitably at some point, probably within the next 24 hours, I will have an opportunity to either um, forgive or take offense. And I will have the opportunity to need to ask for forgiveness because I'll do something or say something inevitably with three other women in the house that probably won't go over very well. <laughs> and so I will need their grace and their forgiveness, not because I was trying to hurt them, but just because I'm imperfect and I say, and I do stupid things. And so, um, I don't know how much sense that makes, makes but I a lot think, of sense. makes a lot uh, of sense. I think that, 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 that's, what's been helpful. To me. And we should point out part of this story. One of the lovelier parts of the story, you lost your, marriage you went through i believe divorce and then you remarried yeah your, your your wife so that part of this story makes us all feel feel pretty good yeah it's definitely yeah we've we've, we've already divorced each other so we don't uh, <laughs> really entertain that anymore um and so we're kind of stuck with each other at this point so yeah well that's definitely an interesting part of the story well steven i just want to say as someone who has experienced darkness not anything like you, I'm certain, and as a person who didn't reach out for help and made terrible mistakes that have devastated loved ones, I can't tell you how powerful and courageous and helpful your willingness to speak out on a fragile subject is, guilt and shame. It uh, hits really, really close to home with me, the host of this podcast, mm -hmm. and I know that it uh, has to resonate with so many in our listening audience. And I should say that as Father's Day approaches, I don't even hesitate to say that there's not a dad in our audience that I know that wouldn't be thrilled to read your story, both to better mm. understand what so many of our heroes go through and to a further appreciate how lucky we really all have it. My dad used to say, may he rest in peace, that if we all sat in a big circle and threw our troubles into the middle, You'd race, mm. you'd race to get your own troubles back, Stephen. <laughs> That's uh, great. And I just, I, I appreciate your story. I appreciate your courageousness. I, you're a hero, and I hope the book does great. How's the book done so far? So far, really good. I mean, if my mother in Kansas is any measure, <laughs> I mean, I think she's buying up all the copies at Walmart. So, um, no, I mean, the, they, we don't have numbers yet, but the, the anecdotal feedback is really, really positive, and, and it's, it's so encouraging uh, to us as we, as we hear some of those stories. Blessings to you, Stephen. Uh, thank you for sharing with us. Maybe the next time you'll come on and we'll talk Mariner baseball or Seahawks football <laughs> or something a little, a little lighter than the subject that yeah. we just discussed for the last half hour. But I, I really am indebted, and I don't know if there's ever – indirectly something a guy like me can do for you. I'm all ears and I'm ready to help. Thanks so much, Mitch. That's so kind.
Okay. Hey, and just so you know, like yeah. those are those are some of the best questions that I've been asked. Um, Thank you. So I, I really appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you, Stephen. All the best to you and your family. I look forward someday maybe to shake your hand. Yeah, right on. The name of the book, again, is War Story, a great idea for a Father's Day gift and a great privilege. Thanks again to Stephen Elliott for joining us on Mitch Unfiltered. All right, we're two games into the NBA Finals, and we're all knotted up at one. If you're ever looking for a spot to have great pizza, a nice selection of craft beer, and a comfortable place to watch sports, Zeke's Pizza is now all over it. Nothing quite like a nice summer's evening with a cherry bomb or Puget Pounder and an ice-cold craft beer at one of the Zeke's Pizza locations, and you'll be supporting a very important partner of Mitch Unfiltered. If you're home and not in the mood to go out and you want some Northwest-style pizza, craft beer delivered to your door, Zeke'sPizza.com. It's fast and easy. No third-party delivery service. Zeke's Pizza representatives arrive at your door. If you're ever looking for a good spot to take your youth baseball team after a big game with lots of tables and a staff that bends over backwards to make that lunch or dinner just right for the team and some of the parents, Zeke's Pizza is another opportunity. Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. And you hear me say it all the time, but I really believe it. I'm super lucky to have a partner like Tyler Hay and Evergreen Golf Call, the premier wealth manager in the Northwest, managing over $2 billion with a B dollars in assets. The 2018 fastest growing wealth manager, says the Puget Sound Business Journal. Tyler is one of the 40 under 40. In 2018, the Financial Times named him one of the top advisors in America. They're headquartered in Bellevue, offices across the West Coast, Unlike stockbrokers, Evergreen is a fee-only advisor, no hidden fees or commissions. Check them out, evergreengovcall.com. That's evergreen, G-A-V-E-K-A-L.com. Sign up for their newsletter, over 10,000 readers, or take a listen to the new podcast on wealth management called The Evergreen Exchange. I'm still waiting for my invitation, although... I think I might be interviewing Tyler on his own podcast. We'll see how that goes. Evergreen Golf Call, the premier wealth manager in the Northwest. Unfiltered. Did you know that when you come back from your little mini vacation, wherever you're going, that on June 12th, you're going to be joining me at Daniel's Broiler? Did you know that? I am well aware. Do you know that I'm fearful that you and I are going to be the only ones there? We're not. Yes. Do you, you know this, and people should know this, Yeah. that based on the the wildly successful first yeah. event we did at Daniels, yeah. that Daniels decided to make the second event three times as large. Well, you, Wait, hold on a second. They, <laughs> hey, hey, hold on. They, they decided to make it three times as large, saying... We're going to open it up, triple the number of people. Yes. And we don't have the triple (laughs) number of people coming to, don't say a word. We don't have the triple, there's, there's, if we were just doing the same size, it would be well attended. Yes. Now that we've had triple the size, it's not quite what you and I expected no it's not right and i'm disappointed in that but i understand that yeah. people have things to do on wednesday june of the course. 12th but here's what i will say it's going to be a great night yep i would love for people to join us now we're inside of what 10 or 11 days mm-hmm. depending on when people are listening to this uh it's a full package 
You've got your wine and your beer, your appetizers, your steak, your salmon, your side dishes, your desserts, your drinks, your parking. Your J-Ham burger. You, you got your J-Ham burger. <laughs> no, you don't. Your burger snob. Yeah. You got J-Ham and Mitch doing Q&A. We'll get a U.S. Open pool going. And I do want to say this, that I want to raise some money for the YMCA of Seattle because I know it's near and dear to your heart. We did that in the first one. It was very successful. It was great. I want to raise some more money. So I was thinking about, okay, how do we raise a little bit more money for the YMCA of Seattle? And the other thing is I've been asked over and over again, when are you going to do a golf outing? When are you going to do a golf outing? And I was going to do a golf outing this year, but we never quite got to it. So maybe we'll do one next year. But what I want to do instead of a golf outing is I want to take some of the guests to experience my home course with me. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to couple that together. So if you're coming or you want to come and you like to play golf and you'd like to try playing Aldera Golf Club with me, you're coming. What we'll do is we'll raise some money for the YMCA. We'll do yeah. some bidding and I'll take a whole bunch of groups, however many I can, you know, yeah. for three at a time, three at a time, three at a time, three at a time with me to play golf. That's, and we'll raise money for your favorite That's charity. phenomenal. Right? I appreciate that. And so... So if you're not already reserved, we'd love you to come. Be our guest June 12th. The way you do it is you go to MitchUnfiltered.com, and right at the top there's a banner that says click here for the U.S. Open dinner at Daniel's Bar. It's on June 12th. It's at 6.30. It'll be the best meal you have all year. You'll be entertained by you. You're going to tell jokes and sing songs and do a dance. Yeah. 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 You might even eat a burger. Yeah. I might. And and maybe you can come play golf with me afterward and so forth. Mm -hmm. So. So the Daniels Broiler event is June 12th, MitchUnfiltered.com, well, MitchUnfiltered.com, and then the top banner. Click it and make your reservation. Sign up. And I really would like to not just be with you. I mean, I love you. Same side of the booth. (laughs) I'd like for some other people to join us in this this deal. Um, Okay. If you believe Ian Rappaport Mm -hmm. of the NFL Network, Mm -hmm. Gerald McCoy's out. The Seahawks are out. And how disappointed are you? Well, I'm a, I'm a little bit disappointed. I would have liked to him to make the finals. Apparently, the finals are the Browns, the Ravens, and the Panthers, according to Ian Rappaport. And uh, apparently, Gerald McCoy is going to make his decision here in the next, probably in the next week. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's already made the decision when people are actually listening. Right. But the Seahawks are not going to be. I guess he wouldn't even. I, 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 maybe just his price tag is too much. People are offering. He was supposed to make 13 million with the Bucks. They cut him, and. What what is being circulated is that somebody's going to pay him eleven, and I guess the Seahawks who could pay him eleven don't want to pay him eleven. Mm-hmm. So how do you feel about that? You all right? Yeah, I mean, I think I have been. I said this about Ziggy Ansah. I said it about McCoy. Everything has to fit within the framework of the bigger picture, right? Yeah. And the deal for Ansah was incentive laden. Uh, the deal for McCoy might have been more guaranteed money yeah. with some incentives. And right. it just, you know, that's why I asked you how many bidders, how many suitors were in the mix for McCoy? Because I was curious. It, it, yeah, and you said a lot. Well, again, the, the problem with this stuff, Jason, and you know this probably even better than I do, you never know what's true. Yeah. What you've got yeah. is you got an agent who says to himself, it's in our best interest if I circulate that 11 teams are interested. Yep. There could only be two. Mm-hmm. But I want to tell people that 11 teams are interested. I want to tell people that we're getting offers in the 11 million, even though we, the best offer we've gotten is about $5 million. Right. Whatever it is, right. you just never know what's hot air and what's true. 
what's being circulated is there are like double digit teams that want him and that somebody's going to overpay for him. Yep. And if that's the case, then you're okay. I guess what I'm hearing you say, it doesn't fit the Seahawks plan. They'd be a better team with Gerald McCoy oh, no and doubt. they're not going to spend the money. They're not going to spend that money. Don't know that. Well, who, I mean, for I this, just, year, I'm talking about for this year, uh, there's yeah. nobody really left. Yeah. So they're going to go to the, they're going to go to the season with money left in their pocket. You know, I, I don't know. It seems to me that if they've got money, and I don't know if he'll do a one-year deal. Maybe he's not going to do well, a one-year deal. That's the thing I said to you yeah. was, you know, who's offering more guaranteed? Who's offering multiple I years? I'm, I'm, I got to believe somebody I is. know. Got to believe somebody is. All right, a couple of last things, and then we'll finish up on episode Jackie. I don't know what the infatuation is with Peyton Manning. Maybe you can explain it to me. Monday Night Football. Mm-hmm big story this week that he's declined it again like he's been offered to be the broadcaster on Monday Night Football like five times and every time he or three times and every time that he's offered it he turns it down and ESPN is like infatuated with having Peyton Manning mm-hmm. I'm like, can you explain that infatuation I mean I know he's a great all-time quarterback but is he that lively and that well-spoken and that he's horrifically boring I think so. Horrifically boring. But yeah. He is immensely popular. And I think that ESPN understands his popularity. You saw him playing in the pro am with Tiger Woods at the Nationwide uh at the Memorial. Yeah. Oh, uh, Nationwide sponsor. He's a, because he is he's a, a nationwide, nationwide guy. sponsor, yeah. 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 Um, or 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 would he man. be really good I, on on I, Monday? I, I don't. I can't. I, I don't think he would so, be that so good. So here, here's the thing. He just have name recognition. Well, right? here's the thing. I think I think the Tony Romo popularity and the Tony Romo Romo surge has created an urgency with television executives about having a quarterback who can dissect plays because what Tony Romo got quote-unquote famous for was that he was analyzing defenses and calling the play before the play happened and he was doing it in succession and people were like oh my gosh I mean this guy he just understands you know score and down and time and you know formation all those things that where you want an analyst to come in and be an analyst and say this is what I would do and this is what I would this is what I would but throw. don't you think that Tony Romo's got 10 times more personality 100%. and charisma than Peyton Manning. Yeah. We call that swag. Yeah, he's good. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes, he does. So I get Tony Romo, but I don't get the whole But I, I will tell you this though. Is he I mean, I don't know that I would have said prior to Tony Romo going on the air that I thought Tony Romo was going to be as good as Tony Romo is. Even with his personality, I would have not said Tony Romo's going to be great with Jim Nance. I I don't know that I would have done that. I don't think so. I'm telling on myself by saying, I don't think Peyton Manning matched up with whomever is going to be a good. I think Peyton Manning's aspirations yeah. are more political than they are, you know, being an analyst for for Monday Night Football. Final uh, final stat of the night. Final stat of episode 42. Episode Jackie Robinson is a baseball stat. I'm ending with a baseball stat. We don't talk a lot of baseball. Mariners stink. The Mariners traded Jay Bruce, and I didn't even I didn't even bring it up. If they would have traded Lenny Bruce, I might have brought it up. <laughs> um, I saw two stats that kind of fight with one another. 
Okay. Did you know that in the month of May, more home runs were hit in Major League Baseball than in uh, any other month in the history of Major League Baseball? Did not know that. 1,135 homers. Wow. Vlad Guerrero Jr. hit the 1,135th home run, one of six he hit, by the way, in the month. Most home runs of all time. I read that stat and I'm like, oh my God, pitchers are getting crushed. Mm. I close that page, I open the next page, and I read, I I kid you not, I swear, the following stat. Did you know that batters are striking out 22.9% of the time this year, the highest rate all or nothing in Major League Baseball history? If this rate stays, people will strike out more than any other year in the history of Major League Baseball. So here we are. More home runs hit in May, highest strikeout rate. Whatever happened to singles, doubles, triples, and ground outs and flyouts? This is the same thing that's happening in basketball. It's three pointers or not? That's right. There's no mid range. There's no singles. I mean, no, obviously there's singles. There's no doubles and triples. There's no, you know, it's 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 the home run ball. It's the big thing. It's the three point shot. It's so interesting how polarizing sports are getting. In, in the statistical categories right now. And I, I don't know what to make of it, but it's very, very interesting. I don't know. I don't know if I like it, though. Do you I, like I, it? I, Do you like it? Home run or strikeout? No base running, no, yeah, I, you know, no hitter, no, no Wade Boggs is anymore. No, I guess they, 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 we have them. We have 350. The, the thing is, is that in the olden days, the guys who used to lead the league at average were never home run hitters. No. Now, the guys like, Bellinger, yep. who leads the at the world in, in yeah. batting average, he's got like 21, 22 home runs. He's also leading the home run hitters are also the average hitters, and I don't. And I guess it's they unreal. either I, I guess they either hit home runs or stri- I, I don't get it. I don't understand how those two numbers can coexist. Now, do I really have to tell you about eleven and twelve before we finish up? Yes. Is this going to be interesting? To anybody besides you? Yeah. Who? Me and the big man Jack Sickman. Yeah. He didn't. He ask doesn't me. know. Yeah. He didn't ask. He asked me. On the second round, he said, so where'd you hit it on the 11? Yo, I want to know where you hit it. Did you hit it OB left? No. I hit good drives on both holes. How do you make double? I kind of understand five because it's elevated. Okay, it's very simple. But 12? It's very simple. 12, I I don't understand 12. very simple. Okay. Uh, I was waiting a long time in between shots. That's the first thing, so that's my first excuse. Mm -hmm. But I hit like a flare out to the right on 11 in the fairway. It was fine. I probably hit a 200 and... Wait a minute, on the, on the drive or the, the drive, second On the drive. Okay. I yeah. hit a flare out to the right side of the Over fairway. the trap? No, we were playing back. It was kind of equal to the trap. Okay. I was probably equal. The, 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 yeah. the tees were back. Yeah. And I hit a little flare out to the right, but got away with it, and it was in the right side of the fairway. Yeah. I then tried to hit a utility down. We were into the wind, and I chunked a utility, and it went right into the trap. The, 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 the next uh, trap, yeah, up, yeah. which is a killer trap to be in. Yeah. But I actually hit a good... I was kind of up against the lip. I hit a good eight iron. I got an eight iron out of there and forwarded it down. So I had about 70 yards to the middle, to the pin on my fourth shot. And I chunked my next shot, came back down. Then I hit one up, and then I two- Where was the pin on 11? 
It was like back left. Back left. Okay, back so left. Yeah. Tough, yeah. yeah. So I so I uh, I made seven there. Yeah. And then twelve is a simple hole. Yeah. I hit a drive that I thought was dead left, and it went through all the crap, all the schmutz, and it came out on the other side in the rough. So I had an easy look. I had about two hundred and thirty yards to the to the green, but decided because I was. I was yeah. up against trees and stuff. I decided to chip it out. I chipped it out, and then I sculled one. I sculled one to the right of the green, and then I hit it, and I chipped one up, and it went. It hit a tree and came straight down. And, and not, this is not interesting to anybody, but I made seven again. So I made seven seven. I was I was literally three over on my own ball through sixteen holes. Three over. Yeah, and went seven seven. It went seven seven on two really kind of benign. Yeah. Where you but think you're holes. making five at the While worst. While Jack is out there drinking on the, you know, having yeah. a drink. Out taking on the, photos. T- taking photos, wearing his jersey, celebrating the Sonics. Ruby red cheeks. Ruby red cheeks. Yeah. The blonde hair flowing. Yeah. He's enjoying it. And in his mind, Mitchie is like three over. He's going to go out and probably go par birdie, birdie par, par par, something like that. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to return tomorrow and we're going to be in the lead. Yeah. And so when he gets the text back that says, Double bogey, double bogey. Sorry, I think I think that probably threw him for a loop. Yeah, exactly. he's feeling no pain right now. But uh, <laughs> come tomorrow when he actually has to tee it up, we'll see. All right, you do the honors. Episode. Oh, before you do the honors, jeez, Louise. People have now heard the interview. You have not heard the interview as of the recording of this segment. Yeah. Would you promise me you'll listen to the oh, interview? Absolutely. Everybody who has heard the interview that's still around for this final s- goodbye. Send me a tweet or send me an email, Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com. I really would like to know whether this interview resonated with people the way it resonated mm. with me. Go ahead. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, episode 42 could be no other than Jackie Robinson. And it is in the books. In the books.